Howdy, fags and friends. Welcome to another episode of QBT, a podcast where two queer babes talk mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. This week, we are joined by friend of the pod, David Granfield, continuing our series on race, racism, and mental health. We have a fun and beautiful interview for you where we talk all of those intersections, plus the love and beauty and nature of um, plants and tending for them and caring for them. It's so great. Um, I am a clown demon, licensed social worker, and psychotherapist practicing in Austin, Texas, Maddie Germs. And I'm Shawnee, a skinny legend and former <laughs> NYC-based therapist turned media and entertainment badass. We might be therapists, but we're not your therapists. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> I didn't know we were starting the podcast. Um, how you doing, girl? I'm good. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> are you? <laughs> I'm well. I'm all right. Um, no, I've had like a wild, like kind of like unexpected few days, but you know, I am... Having a good time. I went to Six Flags again this week, which was like oh. really fun. And it was on I'm a day a that was like, girl. it was like me and a friend. And like, I feel like there was like maybe 600 other people there. We were just like getting on anything. <laughs> it was great. It was a good like half day, whatever. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Um, I feel like... I got back from SF and was like super social, which is surprising because I'm like, usually everybody leave me alone when I get back from a trip. Yeah. Um, but one of those social things I did was going to see Candyman. Ooh, yay. Okay. I'm glad you did it. I was like, did you, um, did you wait for a friend or did you, um, I, I just, I'll just go through. see it twice if I need to. So it's something that you would see twice. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's things in there like... I, there was a lot of stuff that I picked up on as it was happening. Sure. But I feel like another viewing, I'll get like the full, like, what is it? 360? Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole picture. Yeah, I, I was going to say 360 is a full circle, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, well, let's just start. I think we both kind of, based on like the text where I was like, did you see it? And you wrote in all caps, yes. I feel like <laughs> we both are coming out on this saying thumbs up Candyman. Yeah. Absolutely. It has I think it has an 88 on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm yeah. gonna give it a 90. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I I as a viewing experience, I really liked it. I do have like some things that I found like a little bit annoying with it, but what did you love about it? Oh. It's almost easier to say the thing I don't like about it because I liked everything almost about that movie. But okay. the highlights, the things that stood out. Um Mild spoilers the... ahead. Skip ahead 10 minutes if this is like not. Oh, yeah, that you should. Yeah. And go see Candyman. Go see Candyman. Um, I would say that mirrors. I really liked like their play with mirrors and just yes. like, hey, mirrors are everywhere. And then just sort of like, you know, how how things happen when mirrors are around. Yeah. Um, Yaya's fine ass just be, like being, Ooh. getting more and more just like, possessed like turning into you know whatever it was yes. great that was great the um the fact that only white people died right was i picked up on that by like the second like killing i was like oh i i like this yeah. um oh my god the i don't know there's so much like this theme this motif of like the place of uh storytelling in like the black community and yeah. like it's when you take that and you look at it through the lens of police brutality and like yeah. what it means to be black now, um, yeah, I don't know. There's so much to unpack in that movie. Yeah. To, to unpack in that movie that we probably need a full episode just for it. But what did yeah, you like? We can, we can like try. I feel like, okay, so what I loved, I really, really, I will say, first of all, I did not find this movie scary. Like, no. it, uh, um, to me, the original Candyman is like, a little bit horrifying like the the scenes where she's like clicking the camera having to walk through that empty hole like that i'm always gonna think about that and they sort of play with that a little bit here but um almost every sort of scare you kind of see it literally coming it's always mm -hmm. in the corners of the 
Um, yeah. There's not really like jump scares here. There is some really, really, really cool body horror stuff, which not everyone is into that, but like I really am. Like him, like peeling apart his skin. It yeah. gives that Lovecraft Country shit. Like yeah, him, yeah, like yeah. slowly just like sticking his finger in it. It's so gross. It's and so. I love it oh my so god! Much. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I also really, really loved um, Nathan Stewart. Jarrett, the gay brother, um, really oh, loved him. Oh my god, scene stealer! I loved it. Scene stealer, and I j- also just remembered he's also he's the teacher in Generation, but I remember him also mm. from Misfits. I completely forgot he was in that, and that's where <gasps> it was this UK oh, show yes, about yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, that. Yes, so hot then, hot now, like good for him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I really appreciate the way in which they take this movie that already I think had. Um, it had a very specific pro-black, anti-black violence story to it. It had already this narrative of this is what can happen to black communities when we leave them and steal their resources, et cetera, et cetera. That's what the original Candyman is sort of doing, but it, it does it with a white woman studying through grad school. Like there's so many layers of patriarchy and white supremacy that take us there. And I love that this is Nia DaCosta, a black woman, saying, like, what if we tell this story from our lens? And what if we don't kill any black people in the process? Um, I or, think, like, any people of color. I think about the scene when they're in the bathroom and the Asian girl was like, nope. Yes. And she, like, left. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, like, uh, you know, what did... Um, oh, my God. Tiana Paris is it, y'all. Like, I... The girlfriend, this, she's so good. She's so good. And I mean, she's gonna be the next Captain Marvel. She was already in WandaVision. Uh, I'm just like, I see it for her. Like, yeah, I'm so excited for her future. Anyways, she was great when she, when they were, uh, when, well, A, when her brother was like, we don't be summoning shit. Like, we don't right. summon shit. Right. Um, when she opened the door and looked down into the basement and was just like, nope, and closed it. I yes. Just, like, I love this. Like, yes. And when they're on the couch and like, uh, she's like, yeah, he was like saying Candyman and her brother's like, who does that? Who does <laughs> like, that? Who does that? <laughs> no, it was so good. I, I mean, it was very much, it was a different lens. It was a pro-black yeah. lens. And I like that it's not a remake. It is a sequel. There's pulling from the um, the original storyline, these threads that kind of come together. Maybe that's a spoiler we won't like reveal, but um, there's lots of really, really, really cool continuity stuff yes. with a fresh lens. The killing sequence in the art gallery is almost like Dargento-esque, oh like the kind of like floating around and having to use the mirrors to see what the killing is. Like, I really loved a lot of that. Um, my qualm with it, the thing that does not give it 100% for me is that it said instead of showed a little bit too much like within the first 15 minutes we get someone like do you know what gentrification is gentrification is this and it's like uh, okay you and but they did it like three times and i was like you literally read my mind like we have the same thoughts when yeah. it comes to movies because i thought that i left and i was like it's it's only getting a 90 because of the heavy handedness i was like it's a little heavy handed with like those topics and like yeah. the I don't know, like the moral of the story. I'm literally right. like, just like, I see it. Like we have some sense, but I, yeah. I get it. Also, the people watching this movie may not I mean, be black people. I get it. People are stupid. I, I think. And so, I mean, I understand that sometimes people need a little, especially white people need a little bit of like, let's walk through this. But then that's where I think the film gets confused is that it's like, this is a black movie for black people retelling the story through a black lens. And yet it still offers explanations to white people in the audience. Like who is it's, message to who is it for i think it knows that but then also is trying to do a little bit of that jordan peele thing of like but we want everyone's money you know what i mean yeah like and and that's not necessarily a bad thing but to me there was those instances that um an example when he comes up they could have just said this used to be the project's cabrini green and then we can with our eyeballs see that it is now luxury apartments i don't need the explanation. You say that, yeah. And I, and Four I, times. I, <laughs> right. Or only offer it once, like when he's with the art director, which the critique of art in this movie is also really cool and really fun. I, yeah. Um, I And the when we like slowly pan out of that one woman's like horrible apartment and then she's just getting like slung all over the, oh my the God, walls and shit. <laughs> like just the kind of like dystopian nature of what happens in these like apartments and how there's like disconnection from community. Like this is being 
all the other kills in the other places are happening to be in these dark whatever. This is out in the open and just no one gives a fuck. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. supposedly that's what we're supposed to think. And like Nia DaCosta, DaCosta, mm-hmm. DaCosta. Okay, Which I think DaCosta. Okay, I, say, <laughs> I mean DaCosta. I have no idea what her name is. Sorry. Um, the first black woman director to debut at number one. Yes. Like, go off. And yeah. then, I mean, I don't know many, if any, like, well-known. I mean, she's not a horror director, per se. But, right. like, I don't know many black women directing horror movies in the first place. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. And I, the t- you can see her touch there. Like, I'm, I'm just like, you can see and tell that, like, a black woman made this film yeah and maybe also oh i remember what i was gonna say okay so i think what this film suffers from is this was supposed to come out in 2019 we had a delay and Mm -hmm. a year Mm -hmm. of education on what this film is trying to offer that i think that's another reason it feels really heavy-handed i think it would have felt heavy-handed to a lot of folks who've lived through these type of experiences in 2018 and 2019, I don't think that that changes exactly. But I think because of the national conversation and what we've been seeing and this kind of like reckoning, I don't think it needed to tell us what it was offering. You know what I mean? And I, I wonder if that is like a 2019 to 2021 release script lapse, you know? Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe. Like, and it, it was also probably a situation where it's like, we got to do this sooner rather than later. Right. Because I mean, it is one of the first movies to come out when the world is opened back up. Yeah. And it and did that tra- numbers. I numbers. mean, I mean, that trailer was one of the best trailers that I'd seen in so long. I think we talked about the trailer when we saw it. Because yeah. we talked about the clapping, like, and her going like, Oh my God, Vanessa know? Williams, I love it. That was, it was so good. I just, um, I, there's so much I really, really, really adore about it. And I had a great time. It's a tight 90, which I fucking love a movie that knows when to oh, shut, shut up. Like, we get, it, it, you're in, you're get, out. You right, you hit every part. It's like the pacing is done so well. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like the first murder doesn't happen until maybe twenty five minutes into the movie, probably. Mm-hmm. And then it's like every twenty five minutes, like we're in the next like phase, and I'm like, great, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like watching I just, three episodes of something. Yes, I'm. I'm so happy for another black horror movie, not only doing great but being great. And I want to see mm-hmm. more. I mm-hmm. want to see. Um, I want to see folks play with police brutality, but brutality on police. Like I'm all for that. I think. Oh my god, that like that. climax scene. Yeah, was great. good and also still like held restraint too. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't show us exactly, but we knew what was going on, and I just I liked all of that. I um I wouldn't necessarily say that this film has surprises. I wouldn't necessarily say that this film is scary, but I would say that it knows what it's doing mm-hmm. and it's very beautiful and it has some cool kills and gore, but it is not like over the top, nor does it, I think, um, ex- like overstay its welcome. Yeah, it does the original, it honors the original. Mm-hmm. It it gives itself a reason to exist, which yes. I appreciate. Like. They 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 advance the storyline yep. and the sort of the final speech that um what's his face gives from The Walking Dead uh the black guy uh, I don't Coleman remember his Domingo. name Coleman that Domingo. guy yes um who's great in it he talks out the side of his mouth oh. oh I that I love that man um yep. but like the sort of the theme of like why Candyman exists and sort right. of this killing of black men I mean sort of sets up. Candyman for the rest of everybody's lives because it's yeah. like this is uh, this Candyman thing is going to keep happening as long as you keep yeah. murdering black men, which y'all don't seem to like want to stop doing. So yeah, you'll keep getting more Candyman movies. Yeah, <laughs> it has a slight retcon to like the sort of like origin, but I think yeah, it, I think it does not take away from it, and I don't think it ruins the what we have from the original. I think it takes that and is like. Let's just think about this in a different way, which is what I want in a reboot or a sequel mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want it to be your own touch. And I appreciate this touch. And um, for the sake of brevity, let's wrap it up and let's no, move it on No, this is the Candyman podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, let's let's get into some other things about race, shall we? Yeah. Uh, up next, we have our interview with David Granfield. Write to us. Let us know what you thought about Candyman. And... Uh, 
See you later. Hello, friends. Welcome back to QBT. We are joined by friend of the pod, <laughs> a truck. <laughs> We're fun. <laughs> zoom, zoom, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was great. Oh, come That's on, awful. NASCAR. Okay, friend of the pod, um, all around babe, um, David Granfield. Hi, welcome to the pod. Finally, I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm really excited. Um. Yay. I just like, I, I think I, my head went like, oh my God, I have like so many things that I want to catch up with you on. And then I was like, wait, we're recording. So I need to like go here. But, um, <laughs> I, mean, we like, could, yeah. I mean, we could, I've done it. I feel like I'm on the podcast. I'm just like talked <laughs> and I'm like, oh wait, we're recording. This is my friend. Let me be professional. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, get into it. How's your, t- yeah, let's, you know. As we always get started, what identities do you hold that shape how you come to this world? Introduce yourself to our listeners. I feel like um, I'm so ready for this. I've been getting ready for this my whole life. I'm David. (laughs) (laughs) David Granfield. David Jovan Granfield is my full government name. FKA. Noted. David Staten. I changed my last name in 2015 just for fun. Um, And... (laughs) Yeah, we can get into the grand grand field. I thought sounded more like botanical, um, and I was starting my career. Um, let's Wait, see, that's was, real. That's so real. But it's my family name. It's my mom's maiden name. It's not like made up. Okay. 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 I feel like that. I knew. I did not know. Never mind. I I don't know why I was shocked by that. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun fact. I mean, I have considered going by my mother's last name because it's just it sounds because it's french yes <laughs> and my last name is just boring yeah i don't see anything wrong with it me either honestly it's just a little tag for you um yeah yeah gosh i don't know what else um i was born in vallejo moved up here or i lived in california until i was graduated high school and then i moved to oregon in 2009 and i've been here ever since um i was kind of followed a bit of a daydream um to study plants and I, in California, right before I moved, I kind of had this feeling that I needed to go north to learn about plants. And I moved to Eugene to study botany. And then I went to Corvallis and went to school there, studied horticulture. And then I landed in Portland and I've been here ever since. I love, um, visually, you are a black male. Also that, yeah, I guess black male. My mom's white, dad's black um optics matter um they do and what else my yeah my mom's family is like scottish and english settlers i used to say immigrants and i'm just kind of like mm. and uh that who knows and my dad's side is from like texas and oklahoma some of the folks on my like dad's mom's side like my my great great grandmother is um like choctaw so that's mm. something that has kind of informed and shaped like that side of my self so mm. i'm an american a true american mutt if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeehaw girl <laughs> um well as you know and we've talked about this but the, our theme this month is race racism and mental health before we get into lots of other things that you mentioned what does mental health even mean to you? Like when someone says mental health, like how does that get processed in your brain? Uh, mental health is, I spend a lot of time in my mind. What does mental health mean to me? I don't know, but I have a lot of friends that know a lot about it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to like really figure out the things that are going through your mind and to like, communicate with the people around you and I feel like working on your mental space and like where you come from and all those things kind of like impact every other part of my life so now that I'm in my 30s early 30s um (laughs) I've been spending more time than ever thinking about my mental health and just like the people around me too yeah as you think about it what are some ways that you've 
you know, moved towards healing. You know, I feel like when we talk about mental health, there's this really like clinical sort of name to it and people think therapy or they think a certain type of thing. But I think one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that question is because I think that there's things that offer us wellness, that that offer us healing, that may not be in a textbook, that may not be in the ways that we traditionally think about it. So just like, how has healing showed up for you with some of the stuff that you've had to go through? Oh, what a fun question. Yeah, I mean, childhood was just really rocky. Grew up in like a super kind of on one half of like my dad's side, super religious and Christian. And then my mom's side's kind of like uh, rednecks. Um, and so like childhood was this very kind of like, ooh, what's going on here? And so it took me a lot of kind of catching up, I think, as an adult. Um and so my healing has just been around kind of like finding my own identity um, as like a biracial kid. It's just like hella confusing. So I spent like the last 10, 12 or 13 years just kind of like figuring out who I am. And I've been doing that through connecting myself to the earth and plants. And especially just like kind of with our generation, like we graduated, I'm guessing we're all around the same age, like high school kind of around the time when like, it was pretty clear that the world and climate change was like kind of going to hell. Um, and so I feel like somehow I'm kind of grounding myself around like staying focused on like healing people's connection to the earth and like through some of the work that I've been involved in volunteer and like career work, I've been able to kind of like focus on like getting grounded and healing through some of the work that I do. I, I work a lot with like plant medicine um, and so- soil building, which like is super therapeutic. So, yeah, that's kind of how I've soil been doing. building. Yes, it's tattooed on my. Knuckles. I want to know about that. Soil. I was just oh. gonna say you have the coolest knuckle tattoos of soil. It's like one of my favorite tattoos. Wow. Ever. Yeah, I could talk about that for an hour. So, <laughs> all right, go. <laughs> We've got nothing but time, oh. listeners. You ready? We got a four-hour episode for you. <laughs> yeah why did you decide to get t- soil tattooed on you yeah wow i mean so the connection for me has always been plants as far back as i can go like even in like elementary and middle school i remember being super drawn to like the plant kind of lessons in class and like my mom would be like pruning roses i remember when i was in like third or fourth grade and i'd be like following her around picking up the roses like making potpourri just like super gay stuff <laughs> um but yeah, why soil? I don't know. I think when I really dove in, in in kind of college around like my young 20s, learning about plants, it was like instantly it was like, oh my gosh, soil is where it is all happening. That's where the magic happens. And like, you might think that like, oh, all soil is the same everywhere, but like soil is like totally different all around the world, everywhere you go. And like things that humans have done, specifically like colonial practices are like, ruining degrading poisoning and damaging depleting soil and so i've spent a lot of my career building soil um with people and there's like so many different ways to do that like sheet mulching planting trees and like the debris that builds up over time um kind of builds soil um gosh i mean i could talk about that all day but i got it on my knuckles because that's what i do with my hands and it's kind of something that i'm fighting for a little pun there yeah. <clears throat> oh, I I got it. I get it. I like it. Talk to us a little bit about um you know who who else is involved with you in this in these projects and sort of like soil building, right? Like planting, taking care of of plants. Are there other people that you like work with? Other people you get to interact with? Um and what does that interaction look like? Yeah, I feel like hmm I I can talk about like the work that I've done for the last like six years working with the city of Portland um, for the Parks Bureau. Um, I've been coordinating volunteer events and restoration um, events to kind of like clean up riversides, like pull out weeds and non-native plants and then replace um, those plants with like native plants, planting trees and doing like bringing buckets of mulch out with like all ages, kids, adults, school groups, high school groups, work work training programs. Um, But it's kind of like always this thing of like getting 
people in the community connected to land. Um, and so I feel like most of the land that I've worked on is government owned land because surprise government in the urban area owns most of the like um, kind of park and open land. Um, and so recently um, the past, maybe like three, four years, my biggest focus has been working like with urban native community um, to try and kind of like build deeper connections with like urban native folks who reside in Portland um, and then other, other black and indigenous people um, who are in the area. Um, just building deeper connections with like nonprofits that serve those communities um, and like work training programs mostly that serve those communities. Interesting. I was going to say when you mentioned urban communities, when you mentioned government owning a lot of the land, and then you talk about, you know, Black and Indigenous people sort of being the community that you interact with often, like what is from your understanding of working with them, like what how, what have they taken away from doing this, I guess? Like, I, I find that interesting that people of color are sort of helping build community on land that's still owned by the government. So I'm just wondering, I guess, what does that interplay look like, if there is any? It's a huge part of it. Honestly, it's why I got into the work and some of my kind of mentors that are have long been dead um folks that really inspire me from the past i read their journals um some of the work that i do i feel like is focused on finding places to build trust between specifically indigenous and black communities and like current landholders i think land ownership is really um kind of a myth depending on who you talk to um, it's real in so many ways, but in other ways, it's very unreal. Like if you're like a deer walking through a park, like you don't care who's the owner. Um, but there's really serious impacts on like who the owner is. So trying to kind of like find a foundation and some build some value within communities so that they can have things to bring to the table. Um, when it comes time to making decisions about how land is managed, for example, like in you know, the past 150 years here in Portland, they've just been like dumping shit into the river. Can I say that word here? I did. Um, yes. They've been dumping things into the <laughs> river, garbage, poison, all this stuff. And that has impact on like waterways and the fish and the plants that grow in the water. Um, you know, for thousands of years here, people have relied on the resources of the fish specifically and the plants that grow right, you know, at the water's edge. Um, and so the impacts that the government has had on on those resources to community has been really, um, really dramatic. Um, and so I think it's really important to kind of like rebuild that stakeholder value and get get community kind of like a, a stronger seat at the table so that, you know, we can really think critically about like not just that we should clean up waterways, but like how and why. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, it's a, it's a huge body of work back in when the market crashed in like 2008, 2009, um, a bunch of land kind of was going up for sale and the government like bought a bunch of it. And so I feel like it's all this stuff that kind of happens under the table that most people really aren't paying attention to. And somehow I've like caught on to that. Um, and I've been kind of like tracing this like trail of breadcrumbs trying to kind of like pull back the curtain a little bit for people. I'm like sitting with this thing around, um, I don't know, soil and nature and land being what we can see, being what we touch, being what has been before all of us, you know, like that thing that exists and does without necessarily like um, thought, right? It just like dips into purpose really easily. And that being something that you are doing through this avenue of created bureaucracy. And there's like, there's this sort of, and I'm not saying you're creating it, but I'm saying that there's this like tension, right? Between act, being active in a government system with hopes for for the land, which just is, right? Like those, I feel like people who are really into land are normally not really into government. And people not really into government are normally not into land. That's what I'm trying to say. And like, that's some tension shit that like, I'm just wondering, like, how do you deal with that tension? 
It's really rough. Sometimes I, I describe, I mean, I'm really vocal on social media sometimes about just like how frustrating it is specifically like being black working at the government for one, but like kind of this dismantling and like reframing how the government operates is really challenging from the inside. Um, I've described it sometimes as like, I feel like I'm in military service sometimes with how intense it is and how the impacts of the work that I do have on people or can, um, and kind of the weight of some of the work that I do, um, or the stuff that I see on the inside of the government, how like all these back doors and red tape and all this stuff, how it works. Um, it's really sickening. It's really disgusting. Um, somehow I'm able to thrive in that toxic environment. Um, who knows how long, but I feel like as you see, you know, with like the wildfires and the, and the smoke and like the, the heat that we had this summer, it's just the pressure is, is on the planet is really crying out. Um, and so I think somehow I was born with this set of skills to help out. And so I just kind of, that's what gets me back in there every day. Um, I just want to say that as someone who knows you, I see that and have seen that, that your purpose drives you and it is a beautiful thing to know in a person, you know? Um, but I also am curious, like, what are other ways that you're able to tap into that purpose when it's such a toxic place? Like, I, you know, you say you don't know how long you can do it. I think you're referencing burnout. And I think you're referencing, you know, the weight of racism in a, a work environment, especially a government work environment. It can't just be drive that gets us there. Um, what are some other ways that you keep yourself whole and well? Wow. Thanks for asking. There is this group that I'm involved with. We've all known each other since before the pandemic, but when the pandemic kicked in, we all kind of formed this group and it's related to this purpose, but it's really a nourishing part of the work. It's this group called Community Gathering for Community, and it's led by all um, Indigenous and Two-Spirit um, folks and um, from some folks from like tribes in this region and some folks from from kind of farther out. Um, and we kind of came together to harvest medicine that would help people with um, kind of respiratory strength when the pandemic was first starting. It was a it was an ask and a call from elders in the community um, who normally were able to go out and collect that medicine in groups. Um, and last spring we were not able to do that. And so we started this group of, most of us are kind of a little bit younger. And so we had different resources and ability to kind of harvest more and then distribute through our networks. Um, and we've all been meeting every, sometimes once a month or more every couple of months to do like big harvesting trips. Um, sometimes we camp overnight and we'll like process, um, the things that we harvest and then distribute that, that to community. So um that's one thing that really like is like the golden nugget of the work um and then i get to like be camping and be outside and like there's something about like the ritual and the cultural side of this work like i think humans like in the past we were more connected to like harvest cycles and like you know the connection of like plants as medicine um and plants as healers and so just being able to like keep that connection even through the pandemic. We had like two huge camas harvests um, that happened in the pandemic, which is like just unreal to think about that we've done two so far. Yeah. Um, for folks who don't know, what's camas? Oh my gosh. I think it's really important to know if you're in the Pacific Northwest region, pretty much um, from California all the way up into Alaska, there's, different varieties of camas that grow. It's kind of like a, a bulb plant that has like a really starchy bulb um, underground that can be harvested. Um, it's the traditional starch, one of the you know main nourishment sources for the people of this region here in like the Willamette Valley here in Oregon and then beyond um, up into Washington and even up into Northern California. Um, that plant is like, you know, you see like old, you know, videos about history and like what sustained, um, 
communities of large communities of people, that plant alone is like one of this, this, the core, core foods for this region. And so my, my ancestral people are not, um, these are not my ancestral lands, but I feel kind of a responsibility, um, as somebody who's Afro-Indigenous and, you know, white on this land to be like helping to cultivate that plant because it, it is in danger. The space that it grows in is kind of being taken over by agriculture and, and development. So, um, yeah, it's just like, you can kind of prepare it in a few different ways. It's just like a starchy kind of like thing that can be, um, I don't really want to get into how it's cooked because I think that's not my information to share, but, um, I like to to help with that work just because I think it's wow. the smart thing to do since I'm here. I had never heard of that before, but I I don't know. I want to look into it. Yes, Camas, C-A-M-A-S. Like the place in Washington, like on the other side of the river. Yeah, exactly. I You talked a little bit about the pandemic and... I know that for one, I like was outdoors a lot more. Like when the pandemic happened, you know, it was like one of the only things that I could do, uh, anybody could do and not uh, contract, you know, COVID. So like, what was that like? <laughs> I don't know why I said like COVID. COVID-19, it's still out there. Um, but what was that like for you? I mean, was it, I mean, I assume you were like out with your plans as often as you could be before the pandemic. Did you just get more opportunity to do that or... You're, did you find the same sort of like joy from doing it now that there were maybe more people out there? I don't know. Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think I am one of the the lucky folks who did not lose employment when the pandemic first started, um, mostly because my work was rooted outside. Um, my main role at the time when the pandemic started was coordinating volunteer events. So I stopped bringing together large groups of people. I used to bring um, a group of 200 people, 200 plus people to Mount Tabor every fall. Um, and then many of my other events were like, you know, in the 40 to 50 people range. And so I had to really like scale things back to like five to 10 people, keep people really distanced. Um, so I stayed out the whole time and I, I played a big role in like helping get other people out. Once things kind of stabilized and we figured out what was going on. Um, yeah, so... It was interesting. Like, like you said, you spent more time outside. A lot of people were looking to like the parks bureau at the time and they were like, Oh, you coordinate events. So it's like, in some ways I was busier um, mm. during the pandemic, but then when like the protests um, kicked off last summer here in Portland, I just kind of like flipped the table and just like, didn't work for a couple of months. Um, and just kind of like, yeah. Um, I think middle fingers up to the city for a long time. Uh, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. I've been, you know, to one of um, to one of your cleanup things, and I know that there's a lot of education that's offered during that time. Um, how would you describe or explain um, the importance of connecting with nature and the importance of finding healing through that? <clears throat> Uh, I love that question. I've done so much of that. Um, sometimes I, there's, there's certain ages of folks that kind of like really have a distance to nature or it's harder for them to connect. I find like high school age folks sometimes are like a little too cool for it um, or it takes them a little longer to be inspired. And even some older folks from another generation or like my dad, for example, always like hated that I was going hiking and like went out into the woods because he'd be like, that's where they hang people like us. Like, don't go out there. And I was always just like, oh, I want to go where you said not to go. Um, but there's I have so many tricks. I feel like the, the botanical world is like um, for me, sometimes like there's a bunch of magic tricks like. There's this one plant, uh, organ grape, and when the flowers bloom, you can like pinch the flowers and they move on the inside, kind of like a Venus flytrap. And it's like, um, it's a response to like when you pinch it um, and it's in an effort to kind of like white pollen off onto an insect to kind of help it spread its seed, if you will. Um, that, oh, yeah. <clears throat> there's other plants that have like 
fibers in them. There's little, I have little kind of magic tricks I do with like dogwood leaves where I can like make it look like the leaf is just floating and spinning. There's other plants that like one plant you rub the leaf and it smells like peanut butter. Um, other plants like hold little cups of water and you can like always pull a leaf back and find a frog certain times a year. So just depending on when I'm out with people and depending on like what their situation is, um, I feel like it's always fun to just like surprise and delight people and just like really flip that switch. Um, I feel like sometimes I'll refer to like people going on a hike and just like seeing the green blur of it all, or just like passive driving in a car on the bus through the city. It just looks like a green blur or people can be like bush, grass and shrubs. But like really when you start peeling back the layers, there's like so many cool gifts that plants have all over. Um, so I just try to kind of, get people excited by like showing them nifty little things. Um, and it usually works. Wow. Are there any like, um, what are they called? I don't know, like fables or parables or whatever that you can think of that like apply to like life situations, but you've learned from plants. Whoa. I mean, so much about like seeds and like how, um, you kind of have to like push up through dirt or like push up through rocks to kind of like flower and grow. There's stuff like that. There's like, I have so many, <clears throat> I've heard so many like traditional stories like from this region, but like, again, I have this thing where I'm like, if I try not to tell too many stories about plants that like aren't from where I'm from and like being somebody who's like black and like, oh, I don't know, I'm not super connected to the plants uh, of my ancestral people. So I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting one. I feel like I'm always talking about plants as if they are people. And instead of like, you know, late, there's like all these classification systems for plants and like in academia, like Latin name is considered like the top of the top. And then there's like common names and then there's like local names and, indi and traditional like indigenous names. And it's almost kind of like they always put that stuff at the bottom. Um, and I kind of always like to like flip that upside down and like <clears throat> usually people like um, lo really localized names or like the names that um, indigenous communities have for plants in their region are usually described something that the plant does for you if it's a medicine or like a, the way that the plant looks. Um, and so like when I used to bring kids, groups of kids out for like a planting, like some of the old people who worked there before me would just be like, this is the scientific name and trying to like teach a 10 year old, some Latin where I would just be like, okay, let's sit around these five plants. And there's like a bunch of kids, like how about every, we all as a group come up with a name for each one of these plants. And so like they'll give it their own name and then they have their own connection to it. Um, and to me, building a, a connection to a plant and like, knowing some characteristics about it or what it does is like so much more important than like knowing some like academic like classification for it. Um, it's that familiarity piece. Hmm. I'm just kind of breathing that in. That's like really special. And it, it, it also is really, I love hearing you describe that because I've seen you do that so many times, you know, like I, I, I have seen you, um, do some of those magic tricks and and you're not holding that as a sort of like gotcha to me right that's just like who you are as a person right and i think that it's really beautiful how you integrate years of going to school personal experience and this work to like blend away to naturally come to the world and come to an invitation to the world i think that you offer a really beautiful invitation that's really sweet. I think so too. And it, it, it it's super important. I mean, I I sort of had the same the same experience as you when it comes to, you know, your your dad being like, Why are you out in those woods? Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, black people don't be out in the woods. Like we don't we're not known for being super outdoorsy, just like we're not known for swimming either, which I still don't know how to do. Um, but I don't know. It's just it's what I think you're doing is really important because I I sort of wish I had had that growing up. I mean, I lived in the country for a long time and like sure was outdoors and like around lots of plants. And there's certain plants from my childhood that like I remember like 
very like clearly um just for like for my ability to climb them or what I used to go like have to go to switch for like when my grandmother was over it oh no so like I have those kind of stories and I just find that to be interesting because I do think that we have sort of a folklore in the black community when it comes to certain plants here in America um but I also feel like there's this disconnection a lot of times with um with nature and like what it's what it's offered us and what it's what it's offered our ancestors here so I don't know, just, yeah, I'm, I think you're doing something really great and awesome and more people need to be doing it. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been talking a lot about, you know, how we bring to community to nature and how you've been working with community around land management and ownership and, and care. But I, I met you in a different type of community that wasn't really, you know, centered around um, necessarily the land, you know, it was, I mean, unless, never mind. But um, I don't know what I was going to say there. But, <laughs> um, you know, we met in this, in nightlife circles, we met in like ballroom adjacent for me, but you, you being in the ballroom community, and I'm wondering like, how do you see what you've learned from either of those things play with each other? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, okay, so the ballroom world and the nightlife world, um, where we met, um, specifically the ballroom community is like led by Black and Indigenous people and Latinx folks. And it's so interesting, like, you know, queer and trans, transgender, transgender folks, um, are kind of like the, where that world comes from. And so in that, it's so interesting when I look at the history of what I know about culture and when I think about agriculture, um, like queer and two-spirit and trans folks have always been at the center of ceremony um, and song and dance and costuming and prayer and ritual and historically all of that stuff in you know african and indigenous communities here from what i have learned is around um different cycles of um kind of the earth and like you know dances and ceremony related to to rain or harvest um harvesting times in the year and so to me it's interesting like i kind of like, I feel like those things belong together. Um, I feel like in the ballroom world, we have this need to express and kind of fill out these kind of ceremonial kind of ritualistic sort of communities things. And then I think we also as humans have this need to like be connected to land because we eat food and food comes from land. Um, yeah. So for me, like, I kind of see myself going into the future being more of like um, an MC and kind of bringing folks together around like ceremony and, and, and land and, and celebrating kind of like cycles of like, you know, food related things. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. It absolutely does. And I, I just want to take a moment with it because it's, I think it's really special the way that you see that and also the way that you explain it. And again, are entering into another space holding welcoming and invitation and i think that that's a deep gift of yours that i am i'm grateful to know you i'm grateful to know you mm-hmm. oh my gosh wait can i tell you a couple stories that i thought of earlier when sean was talking please okay please. number one going back to fifth grade bless my mother's heart she took me out of this like really mixed school that was like a christian school and then transferred me to this like all white school in the Bay area, which was my first time being like the token black person, like the only black person. Oh my God. We had the exact opposite experience. I love this. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very the Christian off- school wasn't white. No, the Christian school wasn't white. It was lit. Okay. And there were, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't whole separate conversation. But, <laughs> okay, um, okay. Okay. And it was some color in there is all I have to say. And we had, uh-huh. But when I went to the school in fifth grade, I was like, they did not understand me. And I was like, just instantly labeled this bad kid, like 
bad behavior and bad at academics. And I was just kind of like confused and just like, oh, why are these kids all so advanced? Um, and I thought it was because I left a Christian school. I mean, maybe and went to public school. Um, but like they were just like dogging on me and like they had um, outdoor education where like you would go spend the night overnight and do this like whole outdoor camp. I was like the only person from fifth grade who couldn't go. And so ever since then, I've been just kind of like, mm, well, you said I can't go to the outdoor school. Like, uh, I'm going to, you know, do my own thing. And like, it's so funny because now, like all these years later, I'm running, I was running like outdoor school kind of programs and like outdoor education stuff. So there's always something about like telling me I can't have something. And then like, I'm going to turn around and do it better than you ever could. Um, so that's something. I know that's right. Yeah. Truly giving like our, younger versions of ourselves what they needed you know like we get that we get that opportunity to be the adult that we didn't have yeah it's Mm -hmm. so weird yeah how some of those things really impact like what you end up doing for the rest of forever yeah Um, i feel like my life is just trying to stick it to everybody that was like but you can't but i fucking can't watch me there (laughs) (laughs) yes oh yeah and i also wanted to share like you had mentioned something about like old stories and remembering like climbing, climbing a certain tree. This is one of the activities that I like to do with folks, um, especially kind of in the pandemic when we're on Zoom and it's my turn to come up with like an opening conversation or whatever. But I'll ask people to think back and everybody right now, as you're listening, you can do this at home. Think back to your earliest um, memory with with a plant. Usually for folks, it's like something that was like, um, at a place that you lived growing up or like a, at a grandparent's house, some sort like a blueberry bush in grandma's backyard or like this one certain type of tree that you used to climb. And if you pulled the leaf off, it would have like a milky sap or like the apple tree that, you know, growing up or something like that. I always try to ask people to think back to their earliest, earliest memory. And usually with people, it's like around the age of like three, four or five, people can remember really far back. Um, a specific tree and they can start telling me details about that tree. They can tell me what the bark felt like. People can tell me like, they can describe to me, Oh, I used to swing on the branches that bent down. I'd be like, Oh, that sounds like a weeping willow or whatever. Like we have the ability to maintain these like relationships with plants, like going all the way back to the beginning. And that is just something that I always try to like get people to kind of dig into. A weeping willow is the exact plant that I was going to, that I'm that I'm thinking of. I remember, I'd have to ask my mother how old I was when we lived in that apartment complex, but I'm pretty sure it was around like three or four. That's wild. I also was absolutely thinking about my grandmother's blueberry bush, and it spooked me when you said that. Wow. <laughs> like I, I was, wow. I was literally like, "Yuck, gross!" I gotta go. <laughs> um, oh. This um, has truly been a delight. I've been a weeping willow over here, but I am really excited <laughs> um, to hear about uh, some meds. You guys ready to take a break? Yeah. We're almost ready to come back again. Welcome back. It's time to take some meds. This is the part of the podcast where we talk a little bit about what meds we're taking that are making us happy, whether they be actual actual medication or, you know, figuratively, like which is making you happy this week. I want you to go first, Maddie. Oh, okay. I was like, there's two of us here. Um, so <laughs> um, I had an earlier one that I was going to say, which is just like, I found out my friends from NOLA and New York also are safe. That is a med for me after the hurricane, like learning that, you know, whether or not they're having to go through things is a different scenario, but they're safe and well. Um, and then also, in connection to community, we had someone that I did not know at the beginning of this week um, who was evacuating New Orleans, come stay with us for a few days. And it was really wonderful to kind of be on this uh, different type of community, which was like um, our connection is is a network and our connection is queer and our connection is et cetera. And being able to just fall into that with a lot of trust on either end. Like I was really amazed by the trust that that person offered me. I was really amazed by, and I was able to tell them like, I've learned a lot this week just from your ability to say, I need this and trust 
strangers to offer that to you. Like I am grateful that I got to witness and experience community in that way this week. Um, but also I finally fucking started my job. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like it's been like a long time coming. Um, and just like, it's a job I've had since June and just have not been able to start because of licensing bullshit, but had my first orientation day today. I have more orientations and like, I think I'll be seeing clients by next week. So I'm just like really excited to be finally stepping into this thing that, um, took a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of patience and I'm ready to fucking, um, step into that. So those are my meds this week. Hey, uh, uh, David, what you got? <clears throat> oh my gosh. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is I just got my allergy medicine refilled. So I'm like, you know, four days back into that. Um, are you a Zyrtec girl or I'm like a hardcore, I don't even know what it's called. It's something that I have to get from like two doctors. Um, okay. Oh, well that can I, be, you know, HIPAA girl. You could keep that private, but I, <laughs> I, 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 no, just like, you know, allergies. Um, I went to the ocean <laughs> last weekend oh, and I swam in it. I put my whole entire body in it and I like moved my arms and my legs in the water. The Pacific ocean. The Pacific Ocean, you know, it was it was really nice. Um, Wakanda Beach, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. There's a beach I'm called sorry. Wakanda Beach. Yes, what? in Oregon, Wakanda oh. Beach. It's not spelled the same, but like... We can fix that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I swam on the beach. And then on my way back from the beach, um, I stopped at this garden that I planted in Corvallis in 2015. And it's a food forest, and this is like I probably should save more time to talk about that. But um, they expanded on this planting area and planted a bunch of elderberries. Wow. And when I was there, I was able to harvest like five pounds of elderberries. Hell yeah! And so I'm processing those right now, and that is a medicine. Hell Thanks. yes! Yeah, I y'all's love are that. like I yeah, y'all's are great. I was just gonna say. Per usual, my hair has changed again. And I have braids. I have like box braids that it's like a bob. They look fucking good. It's like a bob when they're down. <laughs> and I don't know. It's also it's just the first time I've ever had like weaver extensions in my hair, added hair put in. And I like this shit. So y'all gonna see me with <laughs> hair all the fucking time. Yes. <laughs> Get used to it. Um, it looks fucking amazing, you know. So cute. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm, I'm out here fishing for compliments. It. <laughs> and fish away bitch like you deserve them Got cast a net you know what i mean um, oh my god no i think also i am going to challenge you as well to not downplay your meds that make you feel good sometimes do i do oh, that shit okay occasionally i think i do it too but i think okay. occasionally if like some, someone says something that's like you know quote unquote like emotional or heartfelt and then you're like i bought a new shirt like let that be the new okay. shirt you bought you know bitch like enjoy it enjoy well, it i know I my meds the rest of the year <laughs> <laughs> it's my hair again okay yeah <laughs> um well david do you have any way for our listeners to be able to find you on the internet uh see your work or follow you yeah totally um Day, uh, on Instagram, that's where I am the most. I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, and at David Grandfield, G-R-A-N-D-F-I-E-L-D. Um, be warned, I, there's a lot of like thirst traps and, you know, gardener trade sort of photos. So I mean, okay. I think that's the number one reason to follow you. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> you say and do beautiful things, but also like, let's go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think um, I just want to challenge everyone. If you didn't uh, think back to your first memories or earliest memories of plants back when David offered it seven minutes ago or so on this podcast, um, I challenge you when you're done to take some time to do that. I, I'm i going to as I am moving on to my next thing because the few moments that I took with the three of you. T- well, oh, yeah. Allie's here too. I can see. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, can I count? Um, Was actually, um, I felt a calm move through my body. And so I'm excited to, I'm excited to do that again and be more intentional about it too. So thank you for offering that practice to us. Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you for the laughter. Thank you for the stories. Um, Have you seen Candyman? 
I'm going to see Candyman right now. Mm. Well, we talked about it at the top of the podcast, so it's a full circle moment, bitch. Wow. Get out of here. Go see Candyman. Run, yes. don't walk. <laughs> Literally, the show starts in one hour. So. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to get everyone out of here. Um, be sure to follow us at QBT Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you have something to say about this episode, or about our series this month around race, racism, and mental health, Shoot us an email at qbtpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail up to three minutes at 971-220-8874. You can also text that number, which I just found out, which like, you know, good. <sighs> big, big, big thanks to our producer, Ali Kiltz, um, and our friends, Carlos and Kiana, for helping with our digital footprint. Thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. Let's get out of here, y'all. Yeah, we got to go see Handyman. Candyman, 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 Candyman. Don't say it a fifth time. <laughs> I swear to God. We, we out. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>